0: Welcome to The Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 307 on a Tuesday, the 18th of February, 2020. Hello,
1: I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where it looks like ministers are just making policy up on the hoof, we'll be discussing how cutting woodland down whilst claiming you'll save the planet isn't a great look. We wonder just how small General Motors will end up. And you can listen to me mangle many names...
0: I've heard, by the way, they're going to rename themselves to General Motor.
1: <laughs> yes, or just Motor. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be no General around. <laughs> oh, first, a bit of follow-up, though, and it is our old friend who we haven't talked about for a little while, and Dieselgate. Talks have broken down in Germany between Volkswagen and the the Consumer Association VZBV where they were trying to reach an agreement about how customers in Germany were going to be compensated for buying vehicles with the dieselgate enhanced software now they they both sides broke off from the talks with Volkswagen saying tell you what we'll give you 901 million dollars to compensate because, I'm going to quote here from VW's own statement, the failure of settlement talks should not come at the expense of customers. <laughs> Whereas VZBV turned around and said that the automaker, that they failed because the automaker would not guarantee a system of redress that was adequate for consumers.
0: But a lot of this, part of the reason that Volkswagen had declined to reach a settlement, well, they were blaming uh, the 50 million euros in lawyers' fees. That's a lot of late nights. In lawyers' fees, as part of it, and that—that's why they said, you know, that's why we don't feel it should come at the expense of customers.
1: Yep. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that one pans out because that's it's quite a serious amount of money they're offering. Mm. But uh, we get to move back to the um, our regular trip to Goneland. <laughs>
0: Yes, wherever that might be right at the moment. We were talking. We said uh, last week when we talked about this in follow up, uh, and we talked. Well, when we talked about Carlos going and trying to claim from Nissan, we said, "Well, this is all a bit tit for tat and a bit silly, and and this is just going to escalate." And sure enough, by the time that we had released on the Wednesday morning. There was news that Nissan is seeking $90 million from Carlos Ghosn in damage payments following his his escape. So according to the claim filed in the Yokohama District Court, the, it's been filed in an attempt to recover a significant part of the monetary damages inflicted on the company by its former chairman. be interesting
1: to know what I presume that's got to do with share price.
0: I actually don't know. And the thing is, I don't know that anybody else does. I mean, they're saying...
1: It's it's the share price, or they're saying he's taken $90 million out of the company that he shouldn't have done.
0: There's two parts to this. The first is that the uh, spokesperson spokespeople for Mr. Goen said that we note after after months of announcing damages of 35 billion yen Nissan is now claiming 10 at the moment Mr. Goen's lawyers will react to the merits of the case once the content of the claim has been brought to their attention so uh, there isn't certainly in this uh, autocar uh, yeah autocar article uh, there isn't actually uh, any details on just on how they've come to the 90 million million dollar or the 10 billion yen amount. So
1: no, let's just see. Yes, quite. See how much more silly it can get. Hmm. News from Australia, and that is that General Motors, or Motor, has scrapped the Holden brand completely. It will cease to be from 2022,
0: 21? It? It's the very it. end of 2021.
1: Which... On the one hand, is very sad, but on the other hand, is of no surprise whatsoever, frankly. No, I, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone, this
0: GM have been winding down Holden for quite a long time. They finished production of Cars in Australia in 2017, and since then, they have been rebadged uh, Vauxhall, Opals, or Isuzu's, or even Deu at one point.
1: The Australian government, probably relieved that nobody's talking about bushfires, has uh, leapt up and down and gone on about how General Motors has clearly abused the subsidies and the bailout that it got from the Australian government, and this is... This is a dreadful thing, and they will be making sure that the politicians claim from General Motors as much as they can. But it'll be nothing.
0: Australian politics being making ours look relatively sane yes. uh, as a general rule, uh, even at the moment. Mm. But yes, this is GM uh, now completely pulled out of uh, right-hand drive markets. Mm-hmm. None at all now. Uh,
1: are we going to start? Are we going to start calling? Because um, the press like to give them nicknames and stuff. So is Mary Barra sort of the? barra the butcher now this is what she's done to general motors and (laughs) cleared out so much of it that's why i was mocking about is there any going to be anything left because they're going to have south korea south america and north america that right that's i think i
0: think that's about all that's left yeah
1: yeah, I'm I'm not entering
0: into the other part of it. The irony being, of course, that the Barra is a very famous Australian Ford engine. That's, <laughs> that's the irony in her surname in in this, in in as much as there is. But yeah, yeah, just 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 a weird one. Um, it'll probably mean about 600 layoffs because there's a centre of excellence and a test facility and stuff which are going to be closed as a result of this. Yeah, uh, as well as of course PR and 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 accounts and all these and imports and all these kind of departments. As well. Yeah.
1: There is a link in the show notes to an auto car slideshow of some more particular and outstanding Holdens through the mm-hmm. through their time as a company. So uh, if you would like to go through and have a look at some some older to newer ones, including a, well, I was a bit surprised when I got to it, but basically a Frontera pickup that had been created. Really? <laughs> well, Frontera or Zuzu?
0: Well, there are the Frontera, isn't it? Oh, no, that's not Frontera-based. That's Trooper-based.
1: Oh, yes, is it? Yeah.
0: It's, a, it's an Izuzu Trooper. It's a Holden Jackaroo. Ah, okay. Uh, it was sold as, in the same way as it was sold as the uh, Vauxhall Monterey. Oh, okay. And in fact, that comes up in a well, not the Monterey, but derivations of, that uh, comes up in another story later on. But the one I was going to pick out from the slideshow was the Commodore SS Group A, which has... It was used to homologate touring cars, uh, and it had a 4.9-litre V8. And it was tuned, if I think I'm correct in saying, by Tom Walkinshaw, as in yeah, TWR. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they had quite a lot. Yeah, he was Australian, and it had quite a lot to do with this. But I remember this being mentioned in Autocar as a little, one of the sort of, sort of silly, humorous, sniff petrol pages that they used to have. I can't even remember if Mr. Porter was involved, possibly not. It was either him or Russell Bulgin um, that was talking about using that as a snowblower a long, long time ago, a long, long time ago. It's just one of those little things that that has always stuck in my mind was this this sketch from the front of one of those. Anyway, board news. Now we've done General Motors. Ford are cutting the fiesta production in response to falling sales in the UK and southern Europe. Generally the registration figures of vehicles, certainly in the UK um and, and across Europe, is is down a bit. I mean we know that last month uh last month? What month yep. are we in? We're in fe- yeah, we're yeah. into the middle of February. Yes, sorry. In January, sales of the Fiesta were down quite considerably uh year on year. I mean, it was still 50% ahead of the Volkswagen Golf here in the UK last year, but I think that Ford are just being a little bit cautious here and just making sure they're ahead of the game and aren't caught with thousands upon thousands of um, unregistered festers.
1: Well, I think I think it's just showing how the market is, is not that buoyant at the moment, not just here, but across Europe and across the globe. Because I, I saw yeah. another article this week that was talking about Spain and How they're selling, you know, relatively virtually no new vehicles or registering no new vehicles, and there's as a consequence their second hand market is absolutely booming because Mm. people just can't afford.
0: Yeah, well that that's what will come. We've at least here it's not so much that people can't afford the new cars; it's that people just don't know whether they want to be buying one at the moment. Yeah, it's just the uncertainty around around everything from both consumer and business. Pointed out in here that the quote from Mike Hawes, um to, to back that up as well. Yep. Tesla News. Yes. Unusually for us. Very unusually for us actually.
1: Yes. It's been a while since we've mentioned them. As everyone will be aware, Tesla announced that they were gonna open a new gigafactory and Germany was chosen as the location for that. Too much fanfare and slapping of backs by uh German politicians and business leaders and all the rest of it to say, look, we are still a it's a centre of excellence for engineering, etc., That's why they've picked us. And the site that was chosen is a large historical woodland, which immediately got quite a few people to raise eyebrows, if not pitchforks and flaming torches, to say, hang on a minute. how? Why are you digging up a green belt when there's plenty of places of brownfield sites that could be transferred, of which tesla have chosen to try and gloss over digging up ancient trees it's all plant. right
0: cuz they're going to move the move the ants and they're going to plant some other trees somewhere else
1: mm. yeah that's that's how you save the yeah but the reason we're talking offsetting.
0: about this the reason we're talking about this is said moving on before we go down a, an endangered rabbit hole <laughs> is that there is a court injunction to stop them cutting down any more trees right now yeah at the this moment. is
1: temporary Uh, but it is because there are concerns over, obviously, local wildlife, as Alan mentioned, but um, also water supplies. Uh, There's claims that these are or will be affected by the building of this. So uh, we have to see where where this goes. I reckon they will just chop it all down and there will be Mm -hmm. something put up, whether it will be what's hoped or has been claimed to be doing, who knows.
0: I could just put up a tent in the car park and it'd be halfway there. Yes, quite. But yes, even the the uh, the court representing the Berlin and Brandenburg region uh, has said it, that it it should not be assumed that the motion seeking legal protection brought by the Green League lacks any chance of succeeding. It should not be assumed that it. Oh, it may well even succeed. There we go. I've actually just read. <laughs> I've just realised as I was reading out the double
1: negative that's widely spaced in there. I think somebody's just translated straight from the German. <laughs> yeah i know that problem yes take us to france now alan
0: yeah this was an interesting one this one comes from the english language french newspaper and uh, website uh, connexion it's talking about a new style of roundabout in northwest france what they have what has been done in Nozay, which is between nantes and rennes which is sort of up it's kind of halfway up the left hand side okay western seaboard type direction and they have replaced what was a bit of an accident black spot of a crossroads with a new roundabout which is peanut shaped now i said peanut Mm. p-e-a-n-u-t the peanut shaped roundabout which has sort of two bulges joined in the middle and it seems to be incredibly popular locally uh, because it slows down drivers from all the different directions. I mean, not that you can go particularly fast on French rural roads these days. And yeah, it's it's interesting and unusual, and and it seems to it seems to be working. There's there's sort of if you imagine that sort of lozenge shape. So if you the best thing I can think of is you know the fidget spinners, you know how they were things with the one circle in the middle and then three sort of bits yeah. coming off them. So it's like one of those plus the centre. You know, there's yeah. One arm of the fidget spinner plus the center. And then the um, the roads come off at the sort of equally spaced around the roundy bits at either end. It, it seems people are saying that it's got far better visibility than the junction. It wasn't particularly expensive as far as road junctions go. It cost about 720,000 euros, uh, which is about the same as a roundabout, really. Mm. Yeah, it's just an interesting and unusual one. It's not quite magic roundabout here, but it is quite uh It is. We, quite, we've got a roundabout cool.
1: near us that's very much that shaped as well. All oh, right, in a town that is that loves a roundabout. Oh my! They. It's a. It's a new town, you know, post Second World War, and my gosh, didn't the planners enjoy a roundabout?
0: <laughs> well, we've we've got that special edition to rec- we've got a special edition coming up where I uh, will talk at great length about roundabouts <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no i quite like that one right this is the news that edf has um, bought podpoint the charging company for evs edf has followed in the wake of bp uh, who bought chargemaster in 2018 to uh to get into the well as the politicians will tell us, and this is not just Britain, we can see this across the world, that the drive for electric vehicles will be...
0: Every pun intended.
1: Yes, will be legislated, not just encouraged or hoped for. So this seems a sensible move by uh, an, an energy producing company to actually be the ones to be able to charge the consumer directly for plugging in their cars and charging them.
0: Yeah, and Podpoint has so like, is it 9%? Du, 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 10% 9%, of the market. 10% of, of the UK market. So so BP Charge Master and Polar is 14%. 10% in there. Yeah,
1: Ubitricity is second with 11%. I'm not sure mm-hmm. I've come across an Ubitricity.
0: I think they tend to be the sort of lower key ones, to be honest. A okay. bit like Podpoint. So uh, I tend to find that Podpoint uh, and stuff aren't the sort of aren't generally the the rapid and the ultra rapid chargers right they tend to be a bit lower key and they tend to be just there in car parks oh, okay. you know what i mean yeah. so yeah so i mean if you look at that you see that ecotricity has two percent of the market but they are one of the most visible because of where their charges are yeah the electric highway Allegedly, yep, and and so we talk about many of those like InstaVault and and stuff far more than Source London, for example. But that's because uh, it's just because of the visibility.
1: Yeah, well, what the, what this means, and um, what the the founder Eric Fairbaum of of PodPoint has said that this tie-in or this this purchase by EDF will mean that they can roll out across the country much quicker because they'll have financial backing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is a good thing for uh for consumers because the there's sort of a governmental policy on these things but it's not really it's they are relying heavily on uh private industry to sort out the charging infrastructure
0: yeah the edf tends to buy things rebrand things and then keep treating them as separate companies within edf so they should be all right as long as
1: they're left alone i think hmm so we'll see how that one develops. But uh, yeah, so if you want to have a look at the uh, UK charging market, there is a link to a ZapMap who we thoroughly recommend if you are trying to do a journey with an EV or even a plug-in hybrid.
0: You mean the getting considerably easier all the time journeys with EVs and hybrids?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Plug-in hybrids. Is
1: its is it two and a half years ago now? Is it more? Three? It
0: really is. Two, I was looking at this two and a half years ago, and I was just looking at the difference compared to last year. I'd be interested. I wish they'd included the 2017 figures in this as well as the 2018 and the 2019 figures. Yeah. Because they're up to well over 10,000 charging locations in the UK, over 16,000 devices, uh, and that provides almost 30,000 connectors. So just to explain that a location can contain one or more devices, which in turn can have one or more connectors the way it goes mm-hmm. there we go that was a little little audio data model there <laughs> which brings us to not guilt minute but competition time this week Woo. Woo. demotorized uh, james Ruppert's latest book is is out uh, and what actually happened was that one of us bought a copy of the book and then we both got sent uh we, we we both got sent sample copies as well. So we have a spare copy of Demotorized and rather than just put it straight into a charity shop, uh, we thought that we would, uh, we would run it as a competition for you guys. And of course, we'll send it to uh, whoever can answer the following question. So James worked as a car salesman back in the day. And as a result, with which brand is he most associated? Okay, let me repeat the question. James worked as a car salesman back in the day. As a result, with which brand is he most associated? We will need you, please, to submit your entries via the website contact form. So if you go to motoringpodcast.com and click, it's contact us at the top, isn't it? Yes, it is. I should actually have checked that.
1: No, it is. But there is also a link in the show notes to take you directly to that page
0: do that. Follow the link in the show notes, and that'll take you to to where you can you can fill that in and fill up my inbox.
1: Yes, if you put competition in the subject line, that makes it much easier. That for would us to, make it much easier for us to pick out those who are actually submitting for the competition. Mm-hmm. See, it's cunning. It's cunning of us. That would get you in between
0: the press releases and all the other stuff. Patrons get the ability to submit twice. Andrew, we haven't decided on an end date for this. Are we going to leave it two weeks?
1: I thought we could draw on. Hang on, hang on. I've got to get my calendar open. I had we thought did about discuss this, but, this, but, I, but only a I little had bit. I thought about this, but I've forgotten to speak to you about it. Uh, I hmm. thought that we would do the draw on Monday the ninth of March and announce the winner on the recording of Tuesday the tenth.
0: Yeah. So we need it on We need it by midnight Monday the ninth of March. Yeah. That's the closing date for that. Uh, so i just i've literally just finished reading well not literally because i finished it last night and literally i mean i had just put the book down Uh, so it's called demotorized 200 year war on the motorists it is thought-provoking it is thought-provoking it is arrow straight in its focus on motoring if you enjoy the motoring podcast you will probably enjoy most of this book i did I, i enjoyed the book i don't agree with all of it I don't agree, for example, with, with James, with the original premise in the title for a start, because I don't feel it's a war on the motorist, which he's cataloging and quite right. And I agree with, as I say, I agree with most of it, but really a, a whole bunch of self-interest groups, uh, which have inflicted themselves on the motorist. I don't feel it's, it's anything as structured or as focused or as intended in most cases as a war, but it's, it's a good read. It's, it's very much James' stream of consciousness and his way of, of speaking. You know, the audio book would be, just be him sitting there chatting, which would be fantastic company, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it's darn good read. It's pretty thought-provoking. And there's, there's an, awful lot of, an awful lot of good points in there, some I hadn't considered, many obviously we had because we've spent the last four and a half years talking about quite a lot of this kind of thing, really. Yeah, it's it's. If you don't win, then do go out and purchase a copy. I believe you can get them via Amazon. Yes, uh, you can definitely. There's Kindle and and hard copy, yes, uh, versions as well. So, please enter. As I say, go to the go to the contact page on the website, and if you can use competition in the subject line, that would be brilliant. With the answer to the question, James worked as a car salesman back in the day. As a result, with which brand is he most associated? And we will remind you of this again next week, where I probably won't repeat it four times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You love practice now. Motorsport,
0: come on. Uh, Most important motorsport this weekend was the Parallel Pomeroy Trophy uh, held at Silverstone. The reason it's a Parallel Pomeroy is that it goes alongside the Vintage Sports Car Club's Pomeroy Trophy. It's for road going Toyotas, the parallel Pomeroy. It doesn't matter what kind you have, uh, you can have absolutely any age or any Toyota you can enter uh, in return for a small donation to Guide Dogs for the Blind, because that's the purpose there is is it is a charity event uh, as much as anything. Basically, the older and bigger the Toyota and notionally smaller the Toyota you have, uh, notionally slower uh, Toyota toyota you have then the more chance you have of doing well in this it is heavily handicapped number of uh, uh number of uh, uh number of sort of events and, and sort of little courses to go around it's non-damaging to the car it's great please if it runs next year do enter it's almost worth buying yourself a cheap toyota of any type to enter
1: so so from what you've described then having a a three-door mega hot hatch is actually the perfect car to take along to the yeah, event. Yeah,
0: a really short, really new, really uh, powerful hatchback. Yeah, what you actually want, we actually want is an elderly, very long, small-engined, many-seated Toyota. Okay, uh, I figure that that actually gets you the best overall balance. Uh, of everything yeah i reckon you're more likely to win in that than than you are in in a supra well you, you've you got no chance in a supra really you, you get handicapped to high heaven it's even worse than the handicap that i get i think yeah. so yeah it was fantastic it was so wet and so windy and so bleeding miserable
1: racing driver excuses coming out ladies and gentlemen. 59
0: people still turned up to silverson on a wet miserable day and really just a quick thanks to scott and all the team at toyota for organizing it and especially this year for the loan of the um toyota gb iq from the heritage collection because somebody had broken a yaris and also a humongous thanks to the uh, vintage sports car club for running the whole Pomeroy event uh, and for organizing it and for doing all the maths and for their marshals who stood out for, I mean, we all tried to be as quick as possible. I don't just mean get round each of the, each of the little, the little um tests as quickly as possible, but just generally not faff about because it was so horrible for them. And we just really wanted them to, Get inside too. Some of us ends up running quite a lot of it with our window open, in a sort of attempted show of solidarity. I don't know how well it worked, but but it was it was an attempt to 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 suffer a little bit rather than us sitting in our nice warm cars as they just got battered by wind and rain. I came thirteenth, by the way, out of fifty nine, so that's not bad. That's better than last year. Pretty, pretty tough with that. Excellent, well done. Yes, see you all there next year. Anyway, should we move on to proper motorsport?
1: Yes. Tell me about Formula E. Was the new track
0: a good thing?
1: Yes. Even with the appendage?
0: It seems to, with the appendage, it seems to have been a good thing. The appendage, by the way, around that area, which was all stands, there were over 41,000 spectators in that little loan. The stands were absolutely packed. Real contrast to what it looked like in Riyadh and Saudi Arabia. Hmm where, you know, everything was practically empty. I think we talked about it at the time, that people bought the tickets for the concert in the evening and hadn't really bothered with the race. Mm. That wasn't what happened in Mexico. Cool. It was absolutely packed. Loads and loads of folk. The other thing that seemed to work was the removal of some of the chicanes and the slightly higher. Of course, they could do it where they were because it's pretty much a racetrack and the higher speeds there were still accidents there were still some issues like that but
1: it but they did, it didn't red flag did they uh, i there think they was just did a, did did bit. a uh, safety car briefly
0: i think they did uh because nico Müller needed pulled out of the barriers
1: but that was early on wasn't it
0: it was relatively early on the accidents that were were more traditional Formula One star racing accidents, as opposed to everyone piling in and just this massive pile up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was getting on the marbles, the you know the wrong line, that sort of thing, and just it was that kind
0: of thing that, yeah. rather than oh my god, everyone's just going.
1: Let's pretend we're touring cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was quite nice to, which was quite nice to see, to be honest. Good. Hopefully that that continues to calm down more and more because that, that was really grim last year that, uh, and Mm -hmm. it's good to see how quickly they have moved to try and address that as well.
0: Yeah, they really are trying to sort that because last year it did get a bit, it did get, it didn't just get a bit silly. It got really quite silly,
1: I think. Yeah. So, uh, so no, good, good, Good stuff on that. Talking of the safety car, I do notice, because I'm reading through the uh, eRacing365 article, which will be linked in the show notes as ever, because it's excellent. Mm -hmm. The writing on that site is really, really good. Uh, That I noticed that this year they were bringing in a removal of uh, usable energy whenever there's a safety car out. So they took away five kilowatts. Therefore, Mm -hmm. uh, it kept the energy management strategies sort of Uh, similar or familiar to the teams they weren't having to then try and make it up on the hoof
0: was actually something that's there for better racing and and it benefits the teams yeah all the teams equally rather than being at some sort of new special hindrance that they've introduced so no no the removal of the five kilowatts is actually is actually a relative is actually a pretty good thing
1: so again it's championship trying to make the racing exciting fun and safe and doing it quickly rather than what seems to be in other forms more traditional forms of the or series where they seem to spend years arguing the toss over something just in case someone else may potentially possibly get a upper hand because they suggested mm-hmm. it or something and it's they don't seem to have that sort of politics yet
0: well because things are still relatively spec mm. And because the powertrains of the cars is all equal, give or take a smidgen because of the you know any packaging around uh, around drivetrain, mm. then then there is less of that. Oh my goodness, we're not allowed this special tunnel that goes from the front of the car to the back of the car, which is definitely you know driver ventilation or anything like that. That that just that just doesn't happen. So I think because that's been in you know in it's been intrinsic in Formula E from from the start, then there's there's less of an issue with that. Good, good. Uh just quickly, Porsche got its first pole position. Andre Lotterer was on pole. He then ended up out of the race, and I can't remember how or why. Um Mitch Evans from Panasonic Jaguar Racing won. Antonio da Costa from DSTG to came second, and Sebastian Buemi from Nissan Edams came in third uh sam bird was well there for most of the race and then ended up crashing out from second place and stuff so mm-hmm. yeah it was an interesting one along may that continue because it was interesting in a good way uh, <laughs> as opposed to a bad way cool. uh rally sweden was interesting this year mostly due to its distinct lack of snow
1: andrew yes the, the weather gods teased everyone by snowing the day before and then that disappeared, so this was this was not the snow and ice land that everyone was expecting. However, what did happen that, again, people were possibly not expecting was the first British winner of Rally Sweden. Elvin Evans, driving for the second time competitively in the Toyota Gazoo Grimm, was first, and he was first all the way through the entire rally, which is amazing work, considering how hard these rallies are on, on these cars, especially for the last few years, we've noticed how it's so unpredictable. Uh, second was Ot Tanak coming back from his horrific accident, we'll all remember, uh, at Monte Carlo.
0: I think it'll take us a while to forget it, to be perfectly honest. Yes,
1: I, I forgot, well, I, I had forgotten that it was 14 seconds long,
0: Yes, and removed, involved removal of half a
1: tree. Yes. Uh, third was Kali uh, Pera I think. Rovanpera, Rovan who was 19 and was on the podium, much to the delight of Tommy Mackinnon. In this uh, Dirtfish article, there's a lot about how he may have got dust in his eyes when... <laughs> And <laughs> that kid got on the uh, got on the podium to uh, to accept his third prize. But that's that's amazing because uh, fourth was because he, he Rovanpera took that from uh, Ogier on the last stage.
0: Yeah, it was really came. It really came down to the wire.
1: Really, really. We're not used to Ogier not beating someone who's close to him in the last stage, are we? No. But it's, it's it's what it's showing is it's clearly taking OJ longer to get to grips with the Yaris. But as Elvin uh, Evans says himself, look, we've done two races, we've done well. Let's see where we are when we get on gravel, though, because most of the rallies are gravel, and that's where we'll know how good or not we are. and And I thought that's an incredibly pragmatic and calm way in which to approach it considering, considering how excited he must be and delighted um so mm-hmm. so that's that's really good uh what just to bring up the rest of them though in fifth was lappy for the m sport in the ford fiesta mm-hmm. and then Novell uh Novelle was six he started off Uh, as the first car on the road and he, on the first day and he never recovered. He just didn't have the pace in there. And Craig Breen was brought back in by Hyundai for this race. And he, he didn't have a good rally either. So, so there
0: we go. Worth a mention though, the, the link in the show notes is to, is to dirtfish.com and their Toyota's new heroes made short Sweden, a classic. It's a long read. They publish it on the Monday. It's, great stuff it is brilliant stuff really nice and insightful and easy to read and not you're not spending half your time getting rid of the adverts on the
1: site brilliant it's really good coverage it is it is talking talking of their coverage though that um because them i know that this week there are really crunched discussions going on about the 2022 wrc engine rules because currently the negotiations are in deadlock where there are Hyundai and M Sport are trying to get it agreed that they go for the, well, what's called the R5 Mm -hmm. engine, which will be a cheaper, newer style engine, where Toyota wants to stay with the global race engine. So if they go down the R5, as it's described, uh, route, then this will knock off something like 10% uh, of the costs to sorry, thirty five to forty percent cost reductions in the in how much it costs to get a car, which is about half a million euros at the moment. It'll be interesting to see this week if they do actually what agreement comes out at the end of it, um, because they have to they have to move it forward. They have to start going towards hybrid style engine, but it's whether they're going to do it for twenty twenty two or later on is is the sticking point. And it, I find it a little bit ironic that Toyota want to hold off on bringing the Hybridness into an engine, considering how far ahead of everyone else they must be in the technology. Funny
0: feeling that it might well be not the hybridness that's the problem, but control (laughs) over the hybrid system. Um, As a company, they have such a handle on one particular type of hybrid set up with engine and gearbox and these kind of things. And I think that if it's not theirs, they're probably going to be a little bit twitchy. Mm hmm that makes Exit. sense that makes yeah. sense
1: yeah i would say so right you found our lunchtime read and it's one that everyone should read
0: it really is one that everyone should read uh it's a thought piece by matt Pryor on autocar funnily enough goodness from matt it's the lessons that must be learned from the harry dunn that tragedy and it's not normally it's not normally something that be within our scope i guess really because it talks quite a bit about UK US extradition treaties and stuff, but it's it's about driving standards generally. Mm. And it's about making sure that people actually, you know, have have a set a set level of those. But it's really interesting and thought provoking. I don't want to go into it in too much detail. Because Matt words stuff much better than I can, so I, I strongly recommend that you you either go straight to the Autocar website uh, and look up Matt's piece, or or of course if it's easier, then follow the link straight from our show notes. But it's what four hundred, six hundred words, probably. Yeah, that's um, that's well worth five minutes of your time. It's much shorter than we'd normally give you as a lunchtime read. Yes, so I I, feel I just said that as if we're giving you homework, which I guess I am really. <laughs> But um, <laughs> right lighten off with some list of the week please
1: list of the week and this is from the ever dependable gavin braithwaite smith on motoring research and this is a list of the worst car names ever
0: but th- this is in response to skoda's new i think it's a small suv
1: yes it's going to be electric, isn't it?
0: Yes. So it's a small electric SUV. So it's electric and Skoda naming. So it has to be given an E and it's an SUV. So it has to end in a Q. Oh, meaningful names are so much fun. Trust me, if you've ever been involved in product naming, you, you'll understand. So it's called the Enyak, which mm. sounds like some kind of milk, milk based, I don't know,
1: furry cow type thing
0: well no it's a well you could say that i was just i was thinking it was like one of those milk-based fermented milk-based drinks that's what i'm looking for Ah, fermented fermented milk-based drinks that you you take to keep your stomach settled and your guts healthy and stuff
1: yes and we're not going to fall down the trap of the enya puns and
0: don't because i did that the other day and it's been one of my most successful tweets in ages i must make more bad enya puns
1: (laughs) right but carrying on because this obviously prompted the grey cells of Govin to uh, to delve through the history books. And he starts off with the Ford Probe, which I always thought Probe was an odd name for a car, especially for us Brits. You know, yeah, but do- it
0: sounds futuristic, and it's such a nice pointy thing. Speaking of which, I saw a Mazda MX-6, it's Platform Buddy today, which was very unusual. Oh, right, yeah. Sorry.
1: Yeah. But I, I do really enjoy the Great Wall Wingle.
0: Yeah, uh and if you want to know more about the Great Wall Wingle
1: <laughs> Sorry, I just sound
0: like Andrew there. Right. Well, if you want to know more about the Great Wall Wingle, then uh Ian Seabrook uh has tried a wingle. <laughs> I cannot keep a straight face, I'm so sorry. I was doing so well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll have more people make uh, comments, you have to stop we laughing. Won't.
0: We have to stop laughing and more people will complain. Right. <clears throat>
1: So for more news on wingles, go see Ian Seabrook's YouTube channel. YouTube channel. Well done. Yes. yes.
0: So he tries a little wingle.
1: <laughs> yes. The, the Ford Aspire. Now, the, well, if the name isn't enough for you, wait till you see the picture. Oh,
0: wow. Just, just American small Fords. It's awful. It's just, just just terrible. Dreadful. I mean, there's, there's lots of predictable ones in here. What else is good here? The Isuzu Mysterious Utility Wizard. Yes, I love that. It's so much. It's so much better than than the Vauxhall frontera
1: It, it does seem to be a, a Leonard of Quirm naming, yeah, convention there.
0: I, I actually, I thought the Mew Wizard was the was the long wheelbase one though. No, it's my only question on that one. Oh,
1: Gavin, have you checked properly?
0: <laughs> oh, do you see, the trouble is I definitely don't want to say that Gav's wrong because I haven't checked, and I, I haven't checked. I mean, he probably has. I I'm no- I notice, however, that the Dayatsu Lettuce hasn't made it in here. Oh, wow. It's one of my favourites is the Dayatsu Lettuce.
1: We have missed a few names out there, so do go through the list. Yes. And like I say, do go and have a look at some of the pictures because – the bad, a bad name can sometimes tie into a bad-looking car,
0: <laughs> but it can also sometimes tie into a really cool car as yep. well.
1: So, uh, absolutely,
0: so if you want more amusement by looking at bad naming, then uh, if you don't know about the GooNet Exchange, if you just search for that on um, on Google, then that is a fantastic way of of finding of finding what could potentially be your next Japanese domestic car. Uh, and you can look up some of these brilliant names as well. Cool.
1: Well done, Gav. Good list. Mm, excellent list. So, and finally us then.
0: And finally for some me this week, and it was an article that that I found by Daryl Sleeth on MotorPunk, motorpunk.co.uk, uh, about the Leatherman. Because I always thought Leathermen were sort of came out from a military background and all these kind of things. Mm. But no, according to this... Uh, the inventor of the Leatherman, a chap called Tim Leatherman, uh, and his wife travelled Europe for nine months uh, in a slightly knackered nineteen sixty nine uh, Fiat six hundred, cool. um, uh, which seemed to spend quite a lot of its time broken. Uh, and the first Leatherman, it seems, was the was the uh, the sort of small set of tools that Tim wished he'd had with them, including, but not limited to, a darned good set of pliers. Mm. it's it's really rather cool it's quite a nice little piece i learned stuff from this which i didn't know
1: no oh, it's it's an excellent piece yeah. do like a do like a bit of history of what are incredibly useful uh tools that have been developed and sold recently mm-hmm. recently ish i mean is for a tool is quite recent isn't
0: it yeah relatively yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Excellent. excellent good good spots
0: good stuff and of course, Motor motorpunk is full of good features and articles anyway uh I think that rounds us up for this week, doesn't it? Yes, I think so. Yes. Uh any parish notes?
1: There was the review of the e Golf, or more to the point, a review of Alan's trip. It wasn't, it was a review of the e-golf. And then at the fourth roundabout, I came off at the sixth. This exit. is
0: this is not fair, <laughs> miss l- listen, Mr. Every Sodding button on the dashboard. <laughs> don't, don't start on this.
1: anyway it is actually relevant it is very relevant because this uh, the journey needs to be explained so you can understand how well the car coped with it
0: yes i think it was quite fun to listen back to to be perfectly honest yeah quite enjoyed that one there should be something out on friday as well yes yes to be decided depending on third party issues etc By which I mean which one it is that we release, I think. Yeah. Yeah, which I think that rounds up for this week, doesn't it? It does. Cool. So everyone, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, don't forget about our Patreon, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please, please leave a review and rate on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. They really do matter. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to hear more about your thoughts on James Ruppert's competition. Don't forget the competition, everyone. James Ruppert's latest book. What's the best way for them to do that?
0: The best way to that is on Twitter, where I'm at AJPBradley. B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. Uh, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley.
1: I've been Andrew Clues
0: and safe motoring.